Right, okay, so we're continuing in the little series in Luke that um, Jonathan started for us last week. Uh, And today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 3. But just before we get... um, just before we get into the chapter itself, if I can just get this, mic st- this music stand to behave, well, uh, we're going to have a little um, quiz, first of all, a who's who quiz. I know that LBC will like a good quiz here. This is just to get the grey matter going a little bit, get us thinking. So, yeah, who's who's quiz. Just run through, very quick fire. Don't shout out the answer right away. See if the people around about you can get it, first of all. And um, just keep your own score. You're marking your own homework here. Okay, it is related to the the talk. It's not completely just for fun, this. (laughs) So, first one, if I can get this. uh, Right, so who's who's that's what we're thinking about. Okay, so as I say, you're keeping your own score. So, who is it? Exactly, yep. Next one. Who's this? Okay, hidden behind a bit of a mask, okay. It is Buzz Aldrin, right? If you said Neil Armstrong, you can get half a mark. (laughs) No, actually, I'm feeling generous. We'll give you a whole mark if you said Neil Armstrong. He's actually in the reflection on the visor. He was taking the picture, uh, but not actually in the picture. So, next one. Who's this here? Yep, Roger Bannister. This one? Anybody? Edmund Hillary. Yeah, you you would have thought that, but it's actually Tenzing Norgay. (laughs) Again, a bit of a trick question, but give yourself a mark if you said Edmund Hillary, definitely. This one here, a bit of a harder one maybe. Anybody? It is... Mary Curie, who uh, was a great leading researcher in radioactivity. This one here. Anybody? Again, a bit of a harder one. Any Scots in the, uh, the audience might know this one. David Livingston, a great uh, pioneer in Africa, uh, explorer of Africa and missionary in Africa as well. Yeah, and la- oh, last one. Uh, sorry, this one as well. Actually, we've got one, two more. Any clues? Emmeline Parkhurst. She uh, led the suffragette movement and got the vote for women in the UK. There's a statue of her in Manchester. Okay, and then I think the la- oh no, our slides are slightly mixed up a little bit. Oh, that's the last one there. <laughs> and I've given you the answer already. Tim Berners-Lee, uh, he invented the World Wide Web. Okay, so I think there was eight there. Our slides were getting a bit mixed up. Um, M to get eight out of eight. Nope, seven. Oh, we've got a seven up the back, Peter. Well done. You, you, you win. You win. Well done. What? Next question. What do they all have in common? What do these people all have in common? Do you think? Any ideas? (laughs) Pioneers. Pioneers. Some say, well done, ideal. They are all great pioneers, right? Okay. Who would you say is the greatest? This is a bit more subjective. Who would you say is the greatest, right? I don't intend you to answer that question. 
And then another one, what does greatness look like in your views? What, what aspects of a person characterize greatness? Again, just hold those couple of thoughts uh, as we go into have a look at our, uh, our passage in Luke chapter 3. So Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, uh, we're reading this morning, and it's entitled in NIV, John the Baptist Prepares the Way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I'll tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winning fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Okay, so here we have um, in chapter 3 in Luke, we're introduced to the public ministry of this amazing man, John the Baptist. Now, at the end of the Old Testament, we have the book of Malachi, and then we have this intertestamental period. Of course, a big word for a Sunday morning. I'll get my teeth back in. Intertestamental period, uh, sometimes known as the silent years, about 400-year period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, where we don't have any real record of God dealing with or speaking to his people. Then, all of a sudden, the beginning of the New Testament, John the Baptist bursts onto the scene as a great pioneer uh, for Jesus, a trailblazer for Jesus. So, we've been thinking about some of these great uh, pioneers, and I was asking you to think about what aspects 
of uh, people's life might characterize them uh, as great. Um, and I suppose when we'll start to look into the life of John the Baptist and, and get some details from Luke's gospel and other gospels, it perhaps didn't have the most obvious claims to greatness if we just bring up the next slide. He was born into a humble home to elderly parents, orphaned at a young age, was of no fixed abode and lived a solitary life in the wilderness. He existed on a diet of mainly wild honey and locusts, apparently. How he managed that, (laughs) we don't know, but he did. He dressed himself in camel skins. He lived in obscurity, really, for most of his life, to the age of 30. His public ministry was a short time after that, and then he was executed uh, by Herod uh, and Tinpot ruler, uh, really on the whim uh, of him, about the age of 31, 32, so he had a fairly short public ministry. So when you were thinking about aspects that might kind of characterize greatness, I wonder if someone with this description uh, would fit the bill. I'm fairly sure whilst there was lots of people drawn to John the, the Baptist in his day and what he had to say, I'm fairly sure that many more people thought he was probably a little bit eccentric, to say the least. Uh, A little bit strange, eating strange food, dressing in a a funny way, and having some kind of weird and wonderful ideas. I'm pretty sure for for most people, he would be kind of sidelined and ignored as well. And in actual fact, really over the history of the church, John the, the Baptist is someone that's been a little bit neglected, perhaps not given his his rightful place and recognized as the man uh, for God that he he, he was. But um, what does Jesus say about John the Baptist? So if we go go ahead to Luke chapter 7, um, verses 24 to 28, we read there what Jesus has to say about John the Baptist. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. We'll come back to that last little bit there in a moment. But what Jesus here was really saying to the people of the day was that this man, John the Baptist, was greater than all of their great forefathers, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, greater than the the heroes of the nation, uh, Joseph, Moses, King David. He was greater than them all, the greatest of all time. What is it they say in sporting terms? The goat, the greatest of all time. That's who Jesus was saying that John the Baptist was. So here we have this guy, um, probably sidelined, probably neglected, probably dismissed as a bit of an eccentric by a lot of people at the time. Um, a lot of what he was saying would be getting dismissed and in actual fact a little bit neglected by the, the church through the generations as well. In the view of the only one whose opinion really matters, Jesus was saying he was the greatest. He was the greatest. 
when I was just thinking about that, I was reminded of the story where um, Samuel and Samuel, where Samuel is sent to identify the new king for the nation from um, Jesse's sons. And Samuel is told, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. I don't know if you can remember any of your role models when you were uh, growing up. People that you admired, people that you respected, people that you kind of maybe um, aspired to be like, people that motivated you uh, and inspired you. Um, I had lots of uh, great role models, whether it was uh, family members, friends, work colleagues, church family people as well. But it is really, really important particularly for young folks, to have good, healthy role models, isn't it? People that can motivate them and inspire them in good ways and in positive ways, but equally people can be influenced in negative ways as well, can't we? We'll just bring up this next slide here. Um, Again, we're thinking more about the younger generation. This is Instagram and Twitter. People, these are the top five people that people follow on these kind of social media uh, platforms, people that are held up in a pedestal, people that motivate and inspire uh, others. Um, You can see the sheer numbers of followings. We've got football players there. We've got uh, fashion people, I suppose, actors, all sorts of things. Um, I don't know if you've been aware just recently in the news again of the name Andrew Tate, um, who is, uh, is someone who espouses this kind of like hyper-masculine uh, image and really misogynistic, actually, it would, it would seem. Uh, and um, the virtues, really, of a super luxury lifestyle where you can never really have enough. Um, and it came, I think, as a big shock to, to quite a number of parents and teachers maybe about a year or so ago when his name came into the media Um, for potential criminal activity that a lot of um, teenagers and young folks, boys in particular, young men, were following this guy really closely, um, were really kind of admiring what he was doing and probably, I suppose, aspiring to be like him uh, in a lot of ways. There was lots of appeal for, for young men. Um, let's be encouraging folks, our, our young folks, to adopt really positive role models. Um, let's, one, be aware of the role models that they are uh, adopting, but let's be encouraging people to, our young folks, to adopt positive role models, people that are living their lives that honour God and please God, not uh, just men. Not just men. So what was really special about John the Baptist then. So a few things we've got here. Verses 4 to 6 that we've been reading is a quote from Isaiah 40, which is a prophecy written about 700 years before um, John the Baptist was born. Now there's plenty of stuff written about people 700 years after they died, but not many people have had things written about them 700 years before they were born. So that's pretty cool right away. Uh, The birth of Jesus was foretold. The Uh, angel Gabriel, no less, came to um, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, and said that he will bear uh, uh, a son, uh, John. 
So again, pretty cool stuff. John was the man for the moment at a turning point in history, a pioneer of a new way centered on Jesus that would become the biggest and most powerful movement in history. In other words, the Christian faith. And this is um, a quote at the bottom. I don't have the name there. It's Christian uh, teacher and leader. Without doubt, John the Baptist was a profound influence upon the people of his day uh, and upon the birth and growth of the church. His prophetic passion and burning zeal set the stage for the emergence of Jesus Christ. So an amazing uh, guy. But really, I think the most special thing about John the Baptist was quite simply his total submission to God's will and his absolute sacrificial commitment to serving God. That, that was it. That was what was really special uh, about John the Baptist. Complete submission to God's will, total sacrificial commitment to serving God. Nothing else mattered to him but those things. But we're just going back to that, the words of uh, Jesus, that when he said that he was there was no one greater than John. And then it says, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So what was Jesus getting at here when he said this? Well, what Jesus was talking about was the kingdom of God was the, um, the new covenant. John the Baptist was the last generation of the old covenant. That was the promise. That was the agreement that God had with his people to relate to his people that was given at Mount Sinai back in Exodus to, to Moses and to the people. And it was based on the Ten Commandments, the law and sacrifices. Jesus here is talking about the new covenant. That was the, the new arrangement, the new agreement of God's grace through Jesus' sacrifice, once for all sacrifice in the cross. And under the new covenant, the least under the new covenant, that's you and me, right? We're in the new covenant. The least in the new covenant is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because in the old covenant, people could be friends of God. In the new covenant, we are sons and daughters of God, right? What an inheritance we have. If we ever needed a reminder of the great inheritance that we have through Jesus, sons and daughters of God in the the new covenant. Here's a question. Did Jesus need John the Baptist to be his pioneer? Did he really need John the Baptist to be his pioneer to prepare the way? Well, I think the answer is the same as did God need Joseph to feed his people in captivity in, in Egypt? Did God need Moses to free his people from captivity? Did God need David to lead his people? I think the answer is no, not, not really. But the amazing thing is that throughout history, God has chosen to partner with his creation. And the question for us and Lim and LBC here in 2023 is, is God still wanting to partner with us? Is he still looking for willing and committed servants like John? Is he still looking for pioneers of the gospel, like John. Next slide. Yeah. Pinner and sons. Uh, you quite often see this. Businesses um, and so you get daughters as well. I've seen one and, and daughter uh, fairly recently, actually. 
Um, it's normally some worldly name like Entwistle or Postlethwaite and Sund or something like that. But uh, the point is, when you see this, you know it is a family business. And what we need to realize and understand is that God's work is a family business. Right? We've just been talking about the fact that we are sons and daughters of God and we're in the family business. This here is builders, you'll see. God's is in the business of kingdom building and we're in that business with him. This is probably a limited company. God's is unlimited. And whether we see ourselves as apprentices in that business, tea boys, girls, whatever, or whether we're in the board of directors, we've all got a role to play, an important role to play. If you were at the church meeting on Thursday past, um, Jonathan was just reflecting on the fact that we've been in this period of reconnection for the past few months now, and it's been very uh, helpful, um, very fruitful, uh, and very needed, I think, after the pandemic, just to be reconnecting with God and reconnecting with each other. But we can't stay, as Jonathan was reminding us, we can't stay in that place of reconnection forever because we have a commission to go, don't we? We have a commission to look outward, not only inward. Now, you might be thinking, well, me as a pioneer, I'm, I'm, I'm not a John the Baptist but I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is if we are not going to be a pioneer for God within our family, then who will be? If we are not going to be a pioneer for God amongst our friends that don't know God, then who will be? And amongst our neighbors and our work colleagues, fellow uni students, people down the golf club, the community of Lim, Thelwall, Grappen Hall, if we're not going to be pioneers for God in these places here and now, then who will be? John the Baptist was an amazing man. He was a really effective pioneer, absolutely no doubt about that. But he had a very simple approach, actually, that I think we can all model in our own lives as aspiring pioneers. He prepared, he preached. And he pointed people to Jesus. That was, that was his approach. It's as simple as that. Just a quick look at these uh, in the little time we've got left. Prepared. Verse 2. The word of God came to John, John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. To be pioneers of God, we must be prepared. The key thing here is, came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So the wilderness wouldn't have been difficult to have found in the days around the Jordan, outside the towns and villages, uh, a place of quiet and solitude. And that was where God spoke to John, in a place of quiet solitude. And I'm sure that he was busy during the day, speaking to people, baptizing people, but at night when they all went home, he was left in the quiet solitude to be hearing from God and speaking to God. In actual fact, that's a, a model that was followed by Jesus himself. So when Jesus was baptized, before he started his public ministry, he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Then he went into his public ministry. And then if we read as well in Luke 21, each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. He withdrew. 
And he spent that time with God the Father, speaking to God the Father, hearing from God the Father, these places of quiet and solitude. I don't know if you've ever been in the Manchester Central Library just off Peter Square. Um, when I worked in the city centre, I sometimes would go in there at lunchtimes. And you go in uh, to the reading room in the middle of that building, the round, round library, and you can hear a pin drop normally in that room, people studying for exams, people researching their family trees, and it almost sounds as if you're disturbing people by breathing. You need to breathe quietly, and you daren't open a mint humbug or anything like that <laughs> for fear of uh, being thrown out of the place. But then you emerge back out into St. Peter's Square, and you're just met with this wall of sound. There's trams screeching past buses, lorries, cars, people running late for meetings, shops, buskers, children screaming. It's just hustle, it's bustle, and it's noise. And I just wonder sometimes if our busy lives in 2023 are a little bit like the St. Peter's Square experience and not so much about that quiet reading room where we can study God's word and hear from God and pray with God. I think sometimes it's really easy for God's still small voice to be drowned out in our lives, isn't it? To be crowded out or drowned out or both. Um, Carol, a couple of weeks, uh, about three weeks ago, I think it was, gave us an excellent word on listening to God and obediently hearing. And I'm not going to recap on that. If you've not heard that, I would recommend going back and listening to that on, on YouTube. But this is more about creating the circumstances in our day, in our week, where we can hear from God, because it's so easy these days just to crowd him out and to drown his voice out. I am um, about three years ago, I bought a new pair of running shoes, and three months ago, those running shoes were still brand new. <laughs> but I, I did, I have dug them out, right? You'll be pleased to hear. Um, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that now. And I've been doing some running recently, and um, this has been my wilderness uh, here a little bit. So this is the, um, the Bridgewater Canal, just along from Walton uh, Park. And what I've found is it's been really uh, helpful um, just to be in that place of quiet solitude. And sometimes I've been amazed um, just how God has spoken to me as I've done that little run. And I think it's just been in that place of quiet solitude. Where is our wilderness are we and during our day and during our week are we getting those times of quiet those times of solitude it could be just walking the dog it could be driving the car could be whatever just something simple but an opportunity where God can speak to us to tell us what he wants us to do next for us to ask him what he wants us to be doing next who he wants us to be speaking to and how he wants us to go about that. We need to be hearing from God. Okay. So, yeah, be being prepared. Okay. Next one. Yeah. So, 1 Peter 3.15 encourages us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, if we're not prepared, we can all, 
often be caught on the hop, can't we? Unprepared. So always be prepared to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Okay, next, preached. He preached. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. To be pioneers of the gospel, we must share the gospel with others. There's this uh, famous quote. um, It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. We can use this as a bit of a get-out clause, I think, at times. I know I have. I think really the intention of this uh, statement is more that we shouldn't be talking the talk if we're not walking the walk. Our lives need to reflect what we share with people. Um, If our lives don't reflect our faith, then our words don't carry any authenticity or carry any weight. So yes, but that was not John the Baptist. He was a man of great principle. And no one could pick him up in anything. In fact, he was picking other people up in many things. So our lives do need to reflect our faith, reflect what we're saying to people. But we do need words. I don't know if there's any um, crime drama fans uh, amongst us here. I'm, I'm old school. I was a big fan of Morse back in the day. And of course, my favorite has got to be Taggart, hasn't it, really? I mean, <laughs> there's been a murder. His, uh, his, his uh, acting was so uh, average that it, it looked like uh, a real policeman pretending it was a pretend policeman, so it gave it a great uh, air of authenticity. But here, silent witness. I don't know if you've ever been a silent witness for God. When There's plenty of times where I've been in a situation where I should really be speaking up now. I should really be saying something now. And I've gone back to that bit about... Um, when necessary, use words, you know. John the Baptist was not a silent witness. Verse 18 says, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Again, First Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 2 Timothy 2, Paul um, is encouraging Timothy, preach the word, be prepared. Again, this word prepared in season and out of season. Most of you know I'm a, I'm a driving instructor and when someone passes their test, it's great and we don't allow them normally to drive themselves home because they're that excited and not concentrating on what they're doing. Anything could happen, so I normally drive them home. But in that 10 or 15 minutes it takes to drive them home, they're onto their mobile phones and they've told everybody that wants to know and plenty of people that are not interested that they've passed their test, right? It's the first thing they do. Good news travels fast. We've got the best news that anybody could ever hear. Let's be spreading it around the people that we know, our loved ones, our friends, our family, our neighbor. But let's be doing it with sensitivity. We need boldness, we need courage. It's not easy but let's also do it with wisdom and sensitivity. And then just lastly, before we finish, John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. To be pioneers of the gospel, we must simply point people to Jesus. 
Um, again, just in, in Gospel of John, um, again, John the Baptist just simply pointing people to Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, a little bit later, the next day, John was there again with two of the disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard them saying this, they followed Jesus, pointing to Jesus constantly, not away from himself, to, to Jesus. In actual fact, interestingly, the, the title, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist was the only person to use that in the whole of Scripture. The amazing insight he had about the beauty of the Lord, the sacrificial nature of the Lord, and the fact that he was going to pay the price for the nation's sins, the Lamb of God. I wonder how much in our conversations we talk about Jesus rather than ourselves. We just point people to Jesus. I hope you don't mind me mentioning Eric yourself here. It's a great example of someone who I've had lots of conversations with, and the vast majority of them, within a few minutes, you're talking about the Lord Jesus. <laughs> I'm sure we've all had that experience with Eric, and maybe with other people as well. Just simply pointing people to Jesus. You know, there's a real attraction in Jesus. We sing that song, You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words beyond our comprehension. You know, there's an attraction in Jesus, and people are crying out to hear about Jesus in this day and age. Jesus himself in John 12 and 32 said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people. To myself. All we've got to do is point people to Jesus. Jesus is still drawing people to himself. Every day more and more people are being added to his kingdom. Wouldn't it be great if our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, our work colleagues were included in that? So as we move out of this season of reconnecting uh, and we look more outward, uh, our great commission to, to go. Let's be prepared. Let's spend that time with God. Let's be ready to speak up when the opportunities present themselves. And let's just simply point people to Jesus who will draw all people to himself. So I'm just going to pray and just as the worship group come up to lead us in our closing worship. Father, we thank you so much for the good news that we have to, to share. We thank you for this amazing example of John the Baptist, which are, uh, such a wonderful man, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that you would prepare our hearts in these days ahead. Prepare our hearts, Lord, to speak out for you, to be pioneers for you amongst our family, our friends, our work colleagues, Lord. Challenge our hearts, Lord, we pray. Encourage us, give us that boldness, that courage, that we need, Lord, to simply point people to Jesus who will draw all to himself. As we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.